So we're in this series we call Four. And we're talking about the fact that God is for us and we want people to know that God is for them. And what we started talking about several weeks ago is the fact that God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And so we've been talking about what is this that God wants for you? What is it? How, does, how do we understand it? How do we put it together? Uh, it's all sort of based on the great commandment where Jesus sums up the Christian life, all of the, uh, the law of God, everything into one statement where he gives us the great commandment and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we want to do those two things, but you know what? That's a, a lot. And so, that sort of led us on this journey. Now, last week, we talked about how God is for us in salvation. And we talked about Ephesians 2, where the Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that's what God, God's for us in salvation. But if you look at that passage, what you realize is that not only is He for us in salvation, but He's also for us beyond salvation. He's for us in these good works that He's prepared for us. See? And so, this morning we're going to see yet another way that God is for us in what He's called us to do. So let's pray and ask for God's help and then we'll look at this together. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this moment that You've given us to be together as Your people, to hear Your Word, to consider our lives and in light of who you are and your great love and work and purpose for us. Lord, we thank you for the hundreds and hundreds of smiling faces we'll get to see this afternoon. We thank you for the opportunity to be a blessing to our community. We recognize so many people are hurting and struggling, lacking purpose and meaning, and God we are grateful that you have given us this time to be a blessing to so many. And so, Lord, help us to see through the lens of Scripture another way that you're for us so that we might live the lives that you created us to live. Thank you for your promise to give us ears to hear, prepare our hearts to receive. We promise to give you the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, imagine you're reading the New Testament and you start noticing this theme, this pattern that runs through the New Testament. In fact, it's so common that 50 different times in 24 different contexts, in the New Testament, you come across this phrase, one another, one another, one another. 
It, it could be in the context of love one another or serve one another or bear with one another or forgive one another or encourage one another. But clearly God is big on this issue of one another amongst His people. Now, here's my question. How many times does God have to say something for it to be important? I'm going to confess to you that when I hear somebody say, you know, such and such is in the Bible five times or ten times or whatever, it annoys me. You know, like I just did a minute ago. It's not as annoying when I do it. But when other people do it, it's super annoying. And here's why. Because how many times does God have to say something for it to be important? One time, right? So if God says something 50 different times in 24 different contexts, it's not more important than if He just said it one time. But it does tell us something. It tells us something. Because God did that for a reason. What does it tell us? It doesn't mean it's more important. But think about it. The God who is speaking to us in the Bible is the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. So if he repeats something 50 different times in 24 different contexts, then what he's telling us is that this is something he knows we have a high propensity to ignore, to not get, to mess up. I have no idea what that was, and I'm not going to turn around. So if you have your listening guide, we were never meant to walk with Jesus alone. Never. We were never meant to do that. It was never God's intention. God wants us to know Listen, when you encounter things in the Bible that are repeated over and over, then what that's teaching you is, hey, this is something I need to pay attention to because this is something that in my human condition, God wants me to realize I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to misinterpret this. And this is something that has been terribly, terribly missed. Here's the reality. The reality is, is that when you read the Bible, you realize community cannot be an option. It cannot. Now, I know some of you are thinking, is he really going to talk about community again? Yes, I am. It's going to be in a different way, but I am. Because here we are in a culture where community has become a totally optional thing. Now, we hear things like, I definitely hear things like when I'm talking to somebody about plugging into community. We'll get to the definition of community. We'll get to the misunderstanding about community in a minute. But I'm just talking about connecting to community. This is what I hear. I hear, well, I don't have time. 
It just doesn't work for me right now. I have small kids and they have activities all through the week and I just, it's, it's just not good. It's not a good season for me. My time is so limited. Or I hear people say, Pastor, I'm just not a people person. To which I say, neither am I. See? <laughs> that always shocks them. They say, I'm just an introvert. I'm like, so am I. It's just the way God made me. But I want you to think about this morning how when Jesus gave his life, he did so to birth a church. And he never envisioned a person trying to follow him alone. There's no possible stretch of the imagination. You can't twist Scripture enough to come to the conclusion that that would somehow work. And hopefully when you leave here today, you will firmly agree with that. And the reason, because the question would be, well, why? Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this so critical and here's why the reason jesus couldn't fathom me or you following him alone the reason why that's an impossibility to the bible is because the mission that he's called us to is too big for you to do by yourself you can't do what god's called us to do without me and i can't do it without you we have to do it together. The only way we can be successful in this life is together. Because what He's called us to is so amazing. But what we've done is we've created this pseudo-Christian reality where the mission of God is shrunk down to this tiny little version of something that's not even what the Bible teaches, that, and then we then can alienate ourselves from biblical community and operate according to this little shrunk-down version of God's mission for us. And it's all completely, it's completely unknown to the Scripture. You see, Jesus doesn't fail. You by yourself and me by myself ensures failure as a Christian. But Jesus doesn't fail. He does not fail. So a good reminder for us is, is, is that following Jesus never fails. Like we need to really remember this. We need to really grab a hold of this and, and say, now do I really believe this? Do I really believe that following Jesus never fails? Now there's a lot of Christians failing. But they're not following Jesus. I'm going to show you this morning from the Scripture, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God has stacked the deck. 
He has laid out the cards. He has, he has preordained everything you could dream of, every necessity you could ever imagine. He has laid everything out that you could ever need or want in order to absolutely, positively be utterly successful in following Him. He has done everything necessary for you and me to get to the end of our life, to stand before Him and to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, I just want you to, just in this moment, I want you to understand, that's not out of reach for you. No matter who you are, no matter how far away from God you feel like you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how much water is under the bridge that you regret, listen to me, well done, good and faithful servant is not out of reach. And that is a critical thing for you to grab this morning. It's not out of reach. But you've got to get this. Now, what happened when all this began? In other words, what happened when a group of people following Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit with no context, no... they. They'd never, they'd never been to church before because there'd never been a church before. They'd never worshipped Jesus together because it never happened together. They, they, there was no blueprint. There was no uh, structure. There was nothing. A group of people get radically transformed by Jesus and then do what naturally comes from that. What does that look like? Acts chapter 5 says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Not Sundays. Not Wednesdays. Every day. See, these people, they weren't even called Christians. They were called the way. And the reason they were called the way is because the, the way they followed God was their way of life. It was just how they lived. And what we realize when we start reading the Bible is that what happened when they got together in the temple, what they experienced when they got together and worshiped God that, that experience, it spilled over into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, it, was this, it just spilled over into all of their life. It wasn't this compartment over here where on this day we did this and then the rest of the days or certain days we do this and certain days we do that. It just spilled over into what was going on in their lives. They found the treasure of Jesus. And everything in their life from that moment on was, was touched in some way, was affected in some way by that treasure. Now, in 25 years, I have talked about this a lot. 
And I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations with people about this. I've preached through every verse of the book of Acts. So I have a pretty good idea what some of you are thinking. And I have a pretty good idea about how some of you react and interact with with places like the first five chapters of the book of Acts. There's this prevailing idea in Christians today. When you hear about people who were just daily worshiping together. They were meeting each other's needs. They were sharing all of their resources. When you hear that, the way you sort of shimmy out of that is you think, well, you know, they just lived in a different world than we live in. I mean, this was first century life. I mean, they lived in a boring world. Of course they worshiped God every day. I mean, they were simple people in a simple time, living simple lives. What else did they have to do? You think that's true? Since we've been in this four series, I have spent the last probably three and a half months I've read more history books in the last three and a half months than I have since I got my undergraduate degree. I'm like, am I back in school? Just studying the historical context of this conversation we're having. What kind of world did these people live in? Well, They lived in a world where every day of their life was a struggle to survive. They woke up every morning with a to-do list that if it didn't get done, they wouldn't eat. We resist community Because we're too busy. Even though there's never been a people on the face of the earth with more ease, luxury, and choice than we have. The people in the first century that we read about in Acts chapter 5 They lived in these shabby makeshift houses. They were made out of branches and mud. Some of you are very familiar with that. You've been with me to Brazil and you know exactly what that looks like. And you know that people that live in those houses live in constant 365 day a year fear of the weather. One out of the ordinary weather occurrence and their home ceases to exist. They're terrified of rain. They're terrified of fire because everything that their homes are made of is highly flammable and disintegrates in moisture. It wouldn't have been uncommon in the first century for people to put their newborn babies out on the street and leave them there and their hope for their children 
was that someone would pick them up before they died and raise them to be a servant or a slave. Imagine your hope for your children is that someone would find them in the road and raise them to be a slave. Most people worked in agriculture. That meant they were in the fields before the sun came up and they didn't come home until the sun came down. And that was every day of the week. The Roman Empire taxed them over 50% of their income. Just think about this for a moment. Imagine a taxation structure on the poor like this. The entire time that they were working in the fields, listen, it didn't matter. As soon as you were old enough and physically able, you had to work because the family had to survive. As they're in the fields working, someone who had to be home all day working because it took all day long to prepare the food for people to eat when they came in from the field. And so everyone had a job to do, and if the job didn't get done, the whole thing collapsed. There was no welfare system. There was no help. There was no uh, backup plan. It was everyday survival. When you got up in the morning... You went to work in the fields. Whoever woke up at home got up and started gathering wood. If there was no wood, there'd be no fire. There's no way to cook. The meals had to be ground from scratch. Animals had to be caught, had to be skinned, had to be cut. Whatever the case may be, whatever needed to happen, it all had to happen. And every day when you laid your head down at night, you knew the next morning you had to wake up and start the whole process over again just to live. And when they found Jesus, they were so overwhelmed. Do you think any of that went away? Do you think their jobs got easier? Do you think that, that all of a sudden food started falling out of the sky? Do you think suddenly their pockets started showing up with money? Listen, they found Jesus. Nothing got easier. In fact, everything got harder. Because now it was all what was already seemingly impossible became even more difficult because now you have the persecution and the ridicule and all the, all the uh, condemnation that came with being a Jesus follower. And in light of all of that, in the midst of all of that, they were so moved by what had happened between them and Jesus that they were together every day worshiping. They weren't too tired. They weren't too busy. They weren't too this. They weren't too that. And what about us? We are pathetic. We are so wimpy and soft and spoiled. We're too busy. We don't have time. Listen. How could they in light of all they had to face every day. Relentlessly worship God 
Because they knew that they had met the king of the universe. They knew that who they had encountered was so much better and so much bigger than all of their problems and all of their struggles and all of their trials that it superseded all of that. We have a fridge filled with food. We have money in our pockets. We drive cars for heaven's sake. We live in houses. Listen, I live in a house with thermostats on the wall. Just stop for one second and think about something. The vast majority of the world right now has never seen nor imagined a thermostat on the wall. But you let our AC break. We can't function. I mean, heck, the AC goes out in my truck. I'm not even going anywhere. I mean, with ride with the windows down is too hot. I mean, I'm I'm sweating. We don't have time. We're so busy. Once a week is enough, right? Look, some of you can't swing once a week. Let's be honest. You can't. Maybe I see you twice a month. It's the best you can manage to muster. What about Wednesday night? Where are you at? What you doing then? Oh, I mean, that's just too much. Pastor, look, I'm not talking about, look, forget Sunday morning, forget Wednesday night. These people are doing it every day. And we're so pathetic and so soft. I am so pathetic and so soft that when I read the New Testament, I just want to start weeping. I, I, am, I can't believe that God loves me. I can't believe that. It's astonishing to me that He loves me. Look how far we've come in the wrong direction. We just throw God breadcrumbs here and there and act like we, we're good. And so I know what happens. I stand up here and I start talking about investing your life in community. And you think to yourself, well, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need that. I'm not talking about your Facebook friends. I'm not talking about whether or not you have people in your life that you do activities with or hobbies with or whatever. I mean, even Christian people, that's great, wonderful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about biblical community. I'm talking about being in relationship with other believers such that you're walking together with God so they know what's going on with you spiritually, relationally, physically, 
They know what's going on, and you know what's going on with them. And there's this mutual accountability that exists there. And that you are in this thing together. And so if they suffer, you suffer. And when they're good, you're good. And it's this togetherness where you're walking together. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what's in the, what the Bible in the first five chapters of the book of Acts takes for granted. That's what I'm talking about. And I already know. We, we don't have time. Well, I'm busy. I'm, I'm going, I'm going there. Yeah, I know. But I know. There we are. Posting things on Instagram. We have grocery stores. Drive through food. And mind blowing enough, we have. People who, because we're too lazy to get in our car and drive through the thing, we have people who will get the drive-through food and deliver it to our house so we don't even have to get off the couch. See, here's what we do. We, I, I'm literally, I'm eating lunch with my family yesterday. And I'm watching all these people come in and out Getting, picking up the food. All, and there's like five different delivery services. And they're picking up all this food. That, and I'm sitting there. It's Saturday. I'm thinking to myself, who is ordering this food? Who, who is the person who's so pathetic? They're sitting on the couch. They're looking out the window at their automobile that has working air conditioning. That, by the way, they can crank it with their remote control so it starts up and cools off before you even get there. They're looking out the window at their car and they're going, you know what, to get from here to there, that's just going to be too much. I think I'm going to have it brought to me. I can't really, you know, I'm not going to get up and have to walk outside and get in my car and drive through a window so somebody can hand me food. Now that's going to be too hard. I'm going to have it delivered to me. But we don't have time for community. Think about this. Think about how many times you don't have time to read your Bible. You don't have... Think about how... You even tell yourself, I just don't have time. How in the world is that possible? And who in the heck do you think is going to believe that? Nobody. What do you think? What are you going to stand before God and go, well, God, I mean, I just had a lot going on. Think about how crazy this is. We have lost our ever-loving mind. When, I mean... We can't do this our own way. There's only one way to do this. 
I don't really care what you think. You shouldn't care what I think. We should both care deeply what God thinks. We can't succeed in Jesus' ways if we don't obey what Jesus says. It is an impossibility. Like you can just write it off, okay? You will not. There is zero percent chance. Let's just get this straight. Zero percent chance that you get to the end of your life and that you stand before God and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Zero percent chance if you don't obey Jesus' voice. Zero. It is an absolute impossibility. And believe me, that's a shocking statement in our culture, which is shocking that it's shocking. Because I literally believe that we live in a world where multitudes of people are sitting in church today and they actually believe that everything is fine. And you know what? All the things that they're worried about are all the things they shouldn't care about. And the things they ought to be worried about aren't even on their radar. Not even on the radar screen. Let me show you. Look at, look at Ephesians 2. Look at what the Bible says. Where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works? Okay, now look. We're all humans. Can we agree? True or false? Okay. So here we are. We're all humans. Every human is created in the image of God, right? So all of us are created by God. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So we've got a little 101 here. So here we are, all created by God. Now, when the Bible says we're created in Christ Jesus for something, what does that mean? So we're all born in the image of God. When we come into a saving relationship with God, when we're adopted into His family, when we become His son or His daughter, we're now recreated, right? We're new. We're a new creation in Jesus. And when we're recreated, we're recreated F-O-R something. What is it? We're recreated for good works. There's been a change. So here's what this means. This means you, you, you and me, look. You cannot think for one second that you're going to come into a relationship with God and keep living the way you lived previously. Now, I may be the only person who loves you enough to tell you the things you don't want to hear, and that's fine. But I'll guarantee you, I'm going to tell you. If you think you can come into a relationship with God and live the way you used to, you are insane. Insane. And doomed. You have been recreated, F-O-R, something and you better know what that is you better know like it is 
It, look, in fact, until that is completely, solidly understood and foundational in your life, you shouldn't have another conversation about anything else because nothing else matters in light of that. Until you know what that is, everything else is secondary information. Because the only way you're going to get to the end and hear well done, good and faithful servant is if you walk in those things. All right, Hebrews 10, let's go there. You got your Bible, you look there. Hebrews 10, we're going to look at verse 24. I'm going to show you the same thing out of Ephesians 2. Hebrews 10, and let us consider one another. There's one of the 50 times in 24 different contexts right there. We're going to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now just look at this. So what the Bible's saying is we're going to consider each other in order to stir up these, the same thing that Ephesians 2 is talking about. We're going to consider how to do this. How do we stir this up? Because I can't do it alone and you can't do it alone. All I can do by myself is fail. That's all you can do. So we've got to stir this up within each other, together. We've got to do this together. Now what do we need to do to ensure that we're successful in living our life for the glory of God? Because listen, remember what I said about 10 minutes ago? It's in reach. I'm telling you right now, I don't care what the devil's trying to put in your head. I'm telling you, it is in reach for you this morning. It is in reach. You can do this. You, this can be your story. God is not just, God didn't just save you and say, well, good luck with that. I hope you make it. Like, and he's not just, I mean, this idea that God's up in heaven rooting us on. Come on, Tony, hope you make it. Like, come on. It's absurd. Listen, folks, you know what the reality is? We, we are yoked to him. He's saying, come on, connect with me. Let's go together. I'm going to do most of the pulling. My yoke is easy because I'm the one bearing all the weight. But what needs to be present in our lives? Well, since what God's called us to do is the opposite of what we'll naturally do. See what, see what, what I'm talking about this morning? It's the opposite of what I'll naturally do. The opposite. See, I've got to make sure that I don't waste the opportunities that Jesus died to give me. Same thing with you. Like, that really burdens me. I'm burdened by the reality that I can I could squander this whole thing. That scares me. I could throw this thing down the drain, man. I could. I don't want to do that. And I don't think you do either. I think we all want the same thing. We're just not sure what it is or how to get there. So it, 
there we are. Well, let us consider how to stir one another up to love God and love people and good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, There's a contingency of us in the room that have grown up in church. And here, here's the, well, not us, because I didn't, but you. And I'm very aware of your concept of Hebrews 10.25. So let's see if we can stick some dynamite in that this morning and fix it. Because it's, it's not just wrong, but it is, in my opinion, offensive to God. You notice... The Bible's saying if you want to be a person who lives out God's purpose for your life, the Bible doesn't say, well, you need to develop an amazing prayer life or you need to go to seminary and become a Bible theologian or, you know, not all these things that we think. The Bible says if you want to be a person that lives out God's purpose for your life, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so here's what for generations people have understood that to mean. Don't skip church. Really? That's what you think God's big, heroic, amazing plan for your life is? Don't miss church. Well, if that's the case, then I'm good because I never miss church. That's it? Well... Heck, you can just make a couple little adjustments to your life and we can go home. I mean, of course it applies to church, but to think that is absurd. It's absurd to even have any comprehension of what the book of the first nine chapters in the book of Hebrews, when you read that, you realize that the people that this verse is speaking to in the context are people who were being thrown in jail because they were following Jesus. They were thrown in jail. Do you understand that? Incarcerated. We don't come to church because it rains, they were being incarcerated. All of their, their homes were being plundered and all of their belongings were being confiscated by the military or by the government. See, there's a lot of you that are all your time is spent in your whacked out conspiracy theories and you think that's tomorrow and that's what you spend all your time worried about. Forget that. That was their reality. And you know what the Bible says to them in that reality? Hey, don't, don't you forsake. Assembly. Don't you forget Acts chapter 5. Oh, that's a different context. Oh, now suddenly this starts to look a little different. Do you know what the word forsake means? Yatsar. It's a, it's a very specific word in the Hebrew. And the word means abandon. 
Do not abandon the assembling of yourselves. Now, do you think if the Bible was talking about skipping church, it would use the word abandon? It wouldn't even make any sense to the the people it was written to. It wouldn't make any sense to me or you unless we wanted it to. Unless we were, unless, if all that means, if you mean all I got to do is come to church every Sunday, or all I got to do is come to church twice a week and everything's going to be great, well then, well heck, I can do that and you can do that. We can just make ourselves do it. It doesn't say we have to enjoy it. You know, you know what that verse says? It says, do not abandon the body of Christ. That's what that means. It's way more than coming to church. Let's just have a little, let's just do a little logical, simple, you know, third grade Bible study, you know, connect the dots exercise, okay? All right? The church in the Bible is called the body of Christ. Right? Okay? If the church is the body of Christ, then Christ loves the church. Anybody doubting me so far? Okay, we good? All right. The church is the body of Christ. Christ loves the church. All right, so how do we apply that? Well, if the Lord loves His church... And 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says we are to be imitators of Christ. Then what does that mean? Then we have to love the church. Have I lost anybody? We got tangled up anywhere? Okay. So that means we have to love the church. Well now, the church is the body of Christ. Christ loves the church. The Bible commands us to be, if we are followers of Christ, to be imitators of Christ. Therefore, we are commanded to love the church. Now, why does the Bible call the church the body of Christ? Well, how does Christ accomplish His redemptive plan on earth? The same way you accomplish everything you accomplish on earth. How do you accomplish everything you've ever accomplished on earth? In your body, You use your hands and your feet. You use the body that God gave you to accomplish it. Everything that Jesus accomplishes on earth according to His redemptive plan is accomplished through the body, just like what we do. And the body is the church. So that means everything that God's doing on earth is done through the body. So that means... Well, it means two things. Number one, it means if you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. Period. How many times should I repeat that? If you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. Now, if you don't like that, you can take that up with the book in your lap. It's very plain and simple. First implication. Second implication, if 
the way Jesus accomplishes his redemptive plan on earth is through the body. That means that me and you are his hands and his feet, which we love to say, but do we really embrace what that means? That means that we are the, the, the functional way that God accomplishes his purposes on earth. So back to Acts chapter 5. Every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease. They did not cease. Every day. I wonder how many words in that verse do you hate? They just annoy you. That you wish weren't there. Every cease. They're there. It's what it says. And so my question is, how long did that last and what happened? How did, how did we go from there to here today? How did that happen? Well, first of all, historically, how long did Acts chapter 5 keep going? Well, because may, maybe it was just, you know, hey, it was the first people, you know, they were special. They got, you know, uh, maybe they got a, we could say that they got a, some special Holy Spirit or it was special for them, different than us or something, something, something. So they, they get a pass. Did their kids continue to do that? Did their grandkids? What about their great-grandkids? Like how long did it go? How many generations kept doing that? Well, the answer is yes. Their children kept doing that and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. In fact, it kept going for 300 years. But in 325 A.D., it stopped. What happened in 325 A.D.? It's in every secular history book you have. In 325 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine declared Christianity. Listen, he didn't want to. He wasn't, it wasn't something he was planning to do. But he decreed that Christianity would be the national religion. And you know why he did that? He did that because he had watched he had watched these people that no matter how hard you persecute them, they keep loving each other and loving the poor. No matter how much you tax them, they keep getting up, going to work, they have a smile on their face, they're worshiping God. No matter how long they work, no matter what you do, you can't stop them. They just kept growing and growing and growing. And so finally he was like, well, this is crazy. We can't stop it. We might as well embrace it. And so he said, you know what? We're going to make the Roman religion Christianity. And it ruined it. And for the first time in history, You could go to church and not be a part of the church. For the very first time in history, you could belong to a church but not be a part of the body of Christ. The church became an institution. It became a building where people came to and assembled. And so as long as they assembled once a week, it was fine. And the only reason you would ever go to that 
institution more than that one time as if you needed something special. But other than that, if it's just a normal week, well, 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 we only go to church on Sunday mornings because that's what we do. And the whole, this whole beautiful reality came crashing down to an institution. And we've been fighting our way back ever since. Let's look again. Ephesians 2, where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works? Notice what the Bible says. Look at the end of that verse, which God has prepared beforehand that we should work in them. He prepared them beforehand. When you got saved, they were already, they, God had them prepared for you. See, God didn't go, whoa, I... Now, I wasn't expecting old Tony to get saved. That was a shocker to me. He wasn't shocked when you got saved. He knew that was coming. He was ready for you. He was patient with you. So these, these days, they've already been prepared beforehand. Now, is this some new thing? No, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. We think of Psalm 139 where King David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, Your eyes, God, you saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them formed formed the word describes a potter molding and shaping a piece of clay that's the word the bible uses to describe how God made your days beforehand. Listen, I love you, brothers and sisters. I want you to know something. Before we were born, God got his hands on our days. Before you were born, God got his hands on your days. Now, yes, there was, there's a lot of painful days in my life that I wish didn't exist. But God had already formed days for me. And when I was recreated in Christ Jesus... Now, those days that he had already formed for me, he knew when that was going to happen. He was ready for me. He had them all laid out and ready to go. All I got to do is walk in them, and he's going to walk with me and help me through the whole process. Think about this for a second. He had his hands on your... Listen, when David realized this, look at how he responds. He, he says, how, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. How, if I could count them, they'd be more than the sand. David's like... How God must have thought, how many thoughts did God have to think to fashion up my days? Like, that's amazing. When I think about all the thought, Lord, that you put into my life, I get overwhelmed. 
Look again, again. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. What are these works that we should walk in them? Well, we, we already know. We don't have to wonder because God said, look, here's, what we're gonna, here's the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what, that's what it is. That's what the Christian life is. It feels so elusive to us. It feels so... Because we have so many other things to love. We have so many other things that, that want us to love them. And he said, listen, you're my, my workmanship. I told you last week that word is poema. That, that means masterpiece. It, it's the, where we get the word poem. God's saying, when you were born again, you became my poem. That means that God wrote the lyrics to your life. He wrote the prose of your life. He wrote it. He, he, he fashioned it. He formed it. He, he molded it like a potter molds clay. Like you, you've never seen a potter in a hurry. That doesn't work. What did God write when he, when he wrote your lyrics? What did he write? That you were going to get a good education, grow up, get a good job, get married, get, have some kids, buy a house, put some money in a 401k, do the best you can so that you can one day retire and enjoy the rest of your life and die? Do you think that's what God wrote? Is that the poem He wrote for you? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Do you really believe that that's the poem He wrote for you? Do you think when He was forming, fashioning your days, when He was writing the lyrics to your life, do you think He wrote, here's what I want Tony to do. I want Tony to pursue the American dream. I want Tony to, to just work really hard and save up a bunch of money and then live really comfortable and enjoy the rest of his life. Do you think that's what it was? Do you think that's what He wrote for you? Do you? Because I can assure you that's not what He wrote for you. That's not even on the paper. You know what he wrote for you? You know what he wrote for your kids? You know what he wrote for my kids? We need our kids to know what he wrote down on that piece of paper. He said, now here's the thing. Every opportunity you get is for the glory of God. You get to get an education, it's for the glory of God. If you get a job, it's for the glory of God. 
If you get married, you marry. You don't get married. You don't get married because you're lonely. You don't get married because you want to have kids. You get married for the glory of God. If you are if you're blessed enough to have kids, then you have kids for the glory of God. If you have money, you spend your money for the glory of God. If you have a house with a thermostat on the wall, then you live in it for the glory of God. That whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. This isn't about you and me. It's about the glory of God. Whatever we are and whatever we do is for the glory of God. And listen, I am very thankful for all that God has given me, but I am not just thankful that He gave it to me. I'm also thankful that He has used it to give me an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. Do you understand that? You can't just keep walking along. I'm too busy. I'm good. I, God didn't make me that way. I don't want this. It's not for me. I'm telling you, you keep coming in and out of this room once a week, you will fail. You're going to fail. And I'm telling you, I got to give account for your life. And when I stand before God, I'm going to stand before God and say, they failed, but I told them they were going to fail. I'm telling you, you will fail. That is not the Christian life. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not some, some we're not a drive through window. You have got to pursue biblical community. You, you, you cannot succeed on your own. You have to have people with you. It's the only way. And you know what ain't going to work anymore? Is whatever excuse we got. Because if we have a Bible, then we have a record of a group of people who lived in ways we can't even begin to fathom the difficulty and the pressure that they were under. And yet they worshiped God together continually. What's my goal here this morning? Do I have some angle? You're part of my family. Like we're in this together. And I believe that God wants to do something great here. And in order for that to happen, we're going to have to be obedient to what He says. I don't want to squander what we've been given. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to truly live. But that's never going to happen until we live for what we were created to live for. And it's not ourselves. 
And God's doing some beautiful things here at this fellowship. You know, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but our church is growing. The first service was full. It's growing. And people are coming to faith in Christ. And there are people in this fellowship that are just walking in beautiful community and they love each other and they care about each other and they know. See, you know what? All week, I've been praying for Mark. You know why? I haven't even talked to Mark. Because Mark's community wanted me to know to pray for him because of the things he's facing. Because he's in community. And it's all over. But you see, it's not everybody. And if we want what God has for us, we got to go together. All of us. Together. Together.